Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thank you for joining me once again. Today, we are joined in the studio by Garrett Tyler Parker. Garrett is the Canberra Managing Director of Pollinate Research, which is an independent market and social research company. Uh, Garrett has research experience in Australia and Southeast Asia, and previous experience in the Parliament House Federal Parliamentary Press Gallery. So he brings that sort of real world understanding and perspective to to research and really tries to incorporate human behaviour and systems thinking to ensure that the research that he serves up can actually be used. Um, As I say, experience across not just government and public sector, but small not-for-profit organisations, also has worked with nation-leading companies and multinational organisations. But his specialisation is now strategic government research and bringing the voice of the public into the decision-making process. How appropriate that he's here at this time. He is also a guest lecturer at the Australian National University and the University of New South Wales on market research and was recently published in the Australian Journal of Psychology. He joins me here in the studio in Canberra. Garrett, thanks very much for coming on to GovComs. Thanks, David. Happy to be here. Um, just before we get started, the uh, what was the article about in the Australian Journal of Psychology? It was uh, pretty topical to what we're experiencing at the moment. It was about how we measure psychological distress. And we did a study where we looked at using... Um, what's called the Kessler 10, these 10 questions that measure how people are feeling. For years, the um, Australian Bureau of Statistics have asked this in face-to-face, and they're very personal questions, um, such as, you know, how are you feeling? Do you get enough sleep? Do you ever feel like everything's too much and you can't get on with it? We asked the same questions online and found our results to be overwhelmingly higher than what the ABS is reporting. More aggravated people. More. So more high levels of psychological distress. And we dug into this more and I partnered up with some academics at University of Melbourne to better understand, is this just a research effect or have we been like ongoingly underreporting how psychologically distressed Australians are? And it looks like we have. And as we go through something such as a year of bushfires, pandemic... Uh, other natural disruptions such as hailstorm even here in Canberra. Um, I think it's important to realise that these are going to exacerbate our levels of psychological distress, but even our baseline might be higher than we first thought it was. Oh, that's not great. No, <laughs> sorry. It's that's not, not good one. news. <laughs> no, but I suppose the good thing was that there's knowing it at least, and that's I think the key role of we see of, of research, at least once now that we know that and then we can act on it. Um, if the information that we've got is no good, then what we're going to do isn't going to be right. So hopefully this gives a better basis to be able to move forward and better support um, Australians' mental well-being. Now, before we turn the mics on, actually, we were just having a bit of a chat and you were t- just were telling me a story about a colleague who is in Melbourne at the moment and you were relaying to me that 
you know, he's feeling and his friends are feeling down there quite put upon um, flat, you said. You know, so yeah. that was an interesting insight. Yes. Uh, I think when we hit the first wave of um, COVID, there was a real sense of novelty about it. Um, we were we kicked off a, a tracker during that time. We did one week. Every week we spoke to roughly about a 1,000 Australians, nationally representative, tracked people's happiness, levels of fear, hopes, everything. And gradually we saw there was a bit of an excitement in the novelty factor of it all. This, well, people were sort of thinking, oh, I'm working from home. Yeah. You know, those first few days or you know, even weeks, it was a bit novel, as you say. Yeah. Um, this second wave, however, it's a greater sense of closer to uh, a feeling of depression. Sort of the novelty's worn off and they're not sure where the end is. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a tougher one mentally. I think that's going to impact a lot of the work across government, private sector, everybody, how we engage with the general Australian public. So what does that mean, though, in terms of the way government does it work? Mm. And obviously this podcast is for the communications arms. Uh, policy areas will be looking to make decisions that they need to, and the comms mm. areas obviously need to support those policies. So are you suggesting that it's likely that, the, that there'll be more support rather than less in the next little while? I would, I would hope to see so. I would hope to, that there is this idea of more support and an understanding of, say, particular maybe areas that government is looking to communicate. Firstly, doing that step of going, is this the right time to be communicating these things? Um, do people have the headspace to address this? Or are we talking about X when everyone's obsessed with ABC? Um, Sometimes that can be great and can help people, you know, realise there's something else out there and move on, but other times it can completely fall flat. So I think uh, it's a very good point from the government communications side. We need to start ensuring that we are taking that wider systems thinking approach and going, okay, if we've got something that we want to launch about, say, a new financial decision that's going on, let's take into account people's well-being because we know from research that people's financial well-being and their mental well-being are highly correlated. So if a mental well-being is not great, then financial well-being is probably not going to be a key thing they want to be talking about right now. Mm. Now, you mentioned uh, systems thinking, mm. which to me is a fascinating topic. I don't really know a whole lot about it, but I know that I'm sort of interested in it and it's something that I think is key to... Uh, to the way communications teams need to think about their work. So mm. can you give us the 101 on systems thinking? Yeah, it's, uh, well, I'll do my best. <laughs> it's, um, it has been around for a while, but it is only, I guess, it is picking up steam and we're probably yeah. hearing more and more about it as well. Certainly big in defence and defence planning. That's where I first came across it and the oh. way they plan uh, acquisition and mm. uh, lots of training and other things. Like it's anyway. Oh, sorry, I, I, inter I interrupted you. No, it's it's all good. Uh, I think it, interesting that you say the defence because it it does come a bit from the world of uh, security and resilience, um, building in that idea that we need to look at the holistic system before we can move a lever. Um, I think in the past, particularly from the research side and from the communications side, it used to be that we need to change a behaviour. So we need to stop people, say, smoking or we want to, you know, bring down smoking levels. So let's target specifically that. 
And how do we stop that? Well, we raise the price. Job done. Um, it did stop some people smoking, but it didn't stop everybody. What we need to look at is the wider context around smoking, the overall system, and figure out the levers that we use. Right. If people's role models are still smoking, then smoking is still going to be seen as the cool thing. So taking into account it wherever we can that wider system about why things might be moving up and down, um, people's own lives, and I think we're seeing that more and more in, in government um, comms and research side as well, taking into account not just people's demographic situation, but also their psychographics, how they're feeling, what's going on in their world, what's their, um, their outlook on things as well. Yeah. Pulling those into the greater picture just to give a much better example of how we can tackle tricky issues and help government communicate the right way and drive positive behaviour change. So what advice do you have to people who think, yeah, okay, that makes a bit of sense, but how, how do I get started in taking that wider view? How do I get started to, you know, mm. to, to defining the system, for example, that I may be involved in in the particular part of the world that I operate? Yeah, it's a really good question. There's a few tools and um, little practices. Some of it draws on from design thinking world, mm -hmm. which is definitely uh, getting legs at the moment <laughs> and um, in government as well coming across. Mm. Uh, something that we use a bit, um, and I kind of encourage everybody um, in, you know, in government world and elsewhere to do this when starting a project, is called a rich picture exercise. Mm -hmm. And... It's essentially uh, thinking about something such as, okay, we want a healthy economy. What's involved in a healthy economy? Draw yourself in the middle and draw everything that connects to that. So we start to see from people doing that that they go, well, healthy economy, I suppose we need to talk about taxes. So that's part of it. Taxes, that's going to the government. So healthy economy means a happy government. Happy government's only going to happen if the workers are happy. Happy workers, well, that'll mean happy bosses. So now we've got myself, my workers, bosses, government. We start seeing everyone on the one that we're talking about here. When we're then going to roll out a communication strategy around a positive economy, we realise if we just talk to the public, we're actually going to be missing talking to specifically business owners or people who work for these organisations, people who don't work at all, uh, and the role of government. So a rich picture exercise is a great way to start systems thinking. Mm. But in terms of that, though, like, and let's keep, stay on that example. That can be like anything, you know. Like that, that could be that's a that's a that's a three and a bit, isn't it? To start sort of yes. drawing that sort of relate. <laughs> and and I suppose in in the first instances, it is about sort of throwing everything on there, yeah. and thinking about it. So nothing's a bad idea, and everything, even if it's a small impact to the system, it's got to go on as well. Yeah, ideally. Um once you've once you've got your map and you're right they can get huge with these rich pictures it's where's our boundaries what's in our control what do we want to be talking about right um which is a fundamental step because otherwise you're just going to get overwhelmed you're right you start yep. thinking about global trade and these yep. sort of things that's right <laughs> yeah yeah well, well exactly but 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 then again does does the definition begin at the beginning or does the definition come after you've got everything down and made it look enormous and said well actually the bit that we can worry about is this bit over here mm. but we understand that there is this wider context of other parts of the system that others have responsibility for that may in fact impact on the work that we're doing because I, again I think this is often the case in government is that you may have a small part of uh, 
you know, a particular policy solution. But, yeah. you know, there are a lot of other people who are, you know, close by, whether it's at local government, state government, mm. whether it's at a sister department or agency, there are a whole lot of other people. So I tend to think that if you if we think as broadly as possible early, and then that also helps, I think, in then starting to to build collaboration, um, yes. you know, in order to, to, to get the outcomes we're looking for. Yes, I, that's exactly it. The the objective of those maps of, of doing the, the rich picture and sorry integrate map and rich picture because by the end of it they often look like a bit of a map yeah um it really does help you understand all those stakeholders so when we get three six months down the line and if you know we're talking about one government department and they're getting blocked because another government department are meant to be involved and didn't know about it initially <laughs> we've identified that right at the beginning yeah so even just having it there it does overall lend a, a better idea about what the future may be and better articulation of um, a bigger strategic thinking. Where do we want to go and how are we going to get there? Mm. Much easier to answer those questions. So listen, um, from a, at a personal level, what drew you into research? Why, why did you get interested in that? Um, it came from at university, I suppose, as a background with psychology. And I really enjoyed that element of things where we got to know, uh, you know, exploring why people make decisions and what can potentially influence that. Um, when looking at how to bring that into the real world, uh, so you know, obviously you can go down the route of psychology and psychologist. Um, but I was wondering like where else it could be applied, and saw that the industry market research does and social research does exactly that, particularly at the government level where it's looking to go here's a behavior that you know can be unhealthy for people how do we how do we help them change this how do we support people um so understanding the why behind people's decision making and how we can influence that positively uh it's it's pretty great i think it's a pretty great thing to be able to do well I'm sold. You know, it's what I, you know, I, well, I think it's infinitely fascinating the sort of work mm. that we do uh, in government communication. Like, it's just so much fun and so interesting <laughs> and so important in so many ways to make sure that we can get it right mm. uh, so we can achieve the, the behaviors that, you know, make up a, a richer, healthier, yeah. happier society, particularly at the time that we're in at the moment. Yeah. And I think that the, the key thing that we come back to a lot in our, in our projects and in our role is it's it's our job we see to bring the voice of the customer or the citizen or the consumer into the room make sure that there's an evidence base for decision making a lot of the time the people that we're working with be them um comms team policy team they already know a lot about the audience they are well informed about the topic um so there's really just making sure that those gaps that are there are filled correctly and that we don't accidentally go, well, we all think this, but we're all of a certain age, of a certain income, and maybe we're missing out on what 60% of the population think. So making sure that, that yeah, the citizen can be in the room, that's that's really what the, the positive role of research can be. Hmm. It's a... It's, it's, it's also a fascinating time uh, that we're dealing with in... You know, digital transformation had already taken hold but we've had you know mm. it's now sort of almost a cliche this notion of acceleration but it's true and it's real that you know we've perhaps come forward you know almost i think some people are saying 10 years worth of uh change yeah. that, that has happened because you know people working at home having to deal with different tools 
you know, different types of decision making having mm. to be implemented to make things happening. So where does research now fit in this world that is uh, virtualized in yep. many ways uh, and where social media uh, is now such an important part of the way people get information, sometimes not good information, a lot of disinformation and misinformation out there, yeah. uh, but also send information. So how does market research and social research adapt its approaches mm. to be relevant, to continue to, to add that special value that it does? Mm. Yeah, after, after we'd been in isolation for about a month, um, we started having same conversation with almost all of our clients. It was kind of interesting uh, calling up or emails saying, should we be doing research at this time? Because the world's in a different state. Um, is it going to be relevant? Is it just going to be a blip and we're going to disappear? From what we were looking at in terms of long-term trends and the little bit of research we'd done already about people's changes in attitudes and behavior, back in April, we were saying, this is going to be the case for about six months before we get back to any kind of normal. So if you want to understand what your audience is thinking, how their behaviors are now, um, it's worthwhile to still know because that's going to be the case for at least half a year. And as we listen to what the government's um, talking about now, and you know, there's not going to be any international travel for the rest of this year, for example, um, people's behaviors and mindsets are going to be different for the rest of the year. So there's still a relevance in knowing how people are thinking and feeling if you want to ensure what you're doing for the rest of this year makes sense because our normal isn't going to return. And when it does return, it's not going to be the normal that we left. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the, the volatility, because if, if we if we go back a couple of weeks ago, I think collectively everyone was a little bit like, yeah, we thought we're out of okay, it. Okay, right, <laughs> we're sort of coming good. Um, but early this morning, it was interesting, um, before I came to work, I was, I was actually at home in, in the home office um, doing a bit of work. And the, uh, my wife and I were watching the TV uh, and she made the remark. She said, we just don't know. No one knows where this is going to go. You know, no one yes. knows where this is going to happen. You know, look, this is just so uncertain at the moment. So two weeks ago, if you've come and asked my opinion, I would have been feeling one way. Yep. But now today, in my household at least, there's at least one person who's now going, well, you know. So she is in a very different uh, state of mind. And she's a sort of, you know, a focus group of one. <laughs> and there's millions of these focus groups of one rolling around the place. So yeah. I would have thought research is more important now to try to track that, to know that, as you were suggesting before, you know, don't go out at this point in time because what we're feeling and seeing in our um, the data is that there is this apprehension, there is this sense of yeah. worry and concern. I, it's exactly that. There is, I think your, your word volatile is, is quite spot on. We've never seen attitudes shift like this and, and long-term trends that have been going up for years. I mean, in Australia, say, um, you know, we've been tracking concern about the environment since 2007 in our own study on um, Pollinate Pulse. That's been slowly going up and up and up. And it completely dropped off toward the beginning of this year because, well, it didn't completely drop off, but it dipped down as concern about personal health and economy rose up to meet it. So long-term trends have been um, debunked. Uh, they're still there, but they're, you know, they're, they'll come back when we can focus on long-term things again for now. Do you reckon they come back? Or does it, and this is another thing, isn't mm. it? Because are, are they coming back or has this 
fundamentally changed the way that we view the world and the way we see our place in it and the way we think about it? Has there the disruption of this massive, you know, health pandemic changed us forever that we may perhaps value things a little bit more differently than we did before? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And I should be careful as we uh, research can certainly tell us what's going on now and what it looks like the trends will be, but we're definitely not, um, we can't predict the future yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're right. I think some of these issues that we've seen that were on the rise, um, will they come back in the same format? Probably not because our lives are going to be fundamentally different as in, in a completely different um, sphere, looking at the world of uh, just travel to work. You know, we're slowly, people are coming back into the office and we sort of anticipate by next year, people will be more back in the office. But even if people took one day out of five to now work from home that they didn't before, that's 20% less people on one day of the, of the week, not catching public transport, 20% less use of vending machines, 20% use of local coffees, maybe 20% less use of energy at the office, but more at the home. So these are huge shifts that you're going to see across all our systems. And what about our, us as people as well? Because I think there's, you know, lockdown has forced and given people opportunities to perhaps reflect a little bit more deeply about who they are and what they value and what's important. And uh, perhaps maybe uh, they're valuing things more now that were perhaps more simple, more, more yeah. core, more fundamental as opposed to, I'm in, you know, I'm in the rat race, and I've got to keep up, and I've got to have one of these, and I've got to have the, one of those. Whereas, mm. you know, people maybe have realised, well, actually, I don't need any of that stuff. Something that we did see in our research is this desire. Well, not just desire, but this was the opportunity to get off the treadmill. Yep. So this constant running of uh, of keeping up and keeping moving, um, it it was it, it provided a break that we all didn't realise that we needed. Uh, for many people to go, wow, maybe I don't need to be out there as much as I do. Maybe I can take a back step. Um, during this time, in that first, particularly in that first wave of isolation, we really resorted to home comforts. Um, the importance of local rose up, obviously, as we could no longer go further away. Uh, and this sense that my home life might actually be more important than I put uh, value on it at the moment. Which again, when we think about to your question about ourselves, our values are shifting. Hmm. So is it going to be more important to have the economic um, rises and the pay rises or is it going to be better to have one day home where I don't work? I think we're going to see real shifts in what we value in terms of time versus money. Hmm. So what other things did you discover that are sort of the really key sort of take-home points that this... uh, audience uh, of people interested mm. in government communication need to sort of take to work tomorrow? What, what are the things that they need to really have in their heads? Is there, uh, well, actually, I was going to say they're going to walk through the door. They're actually not going to walk through the door. They're probably going to walk from their bedroom to their kitchen table or wherever they are working yeah. from at the moment. So what are those, what are the things that they should be keeping sort of close to themselves as they go about the important work that they do? Um, Well, there's a couple of things. I might might touch on a couple of things there. One thing that we saw was really interesting globally and definitely here in Australia as well is that 
the COVID-19 situation has not necessarily created new social tensions, and this impacts across everything that any government organisation is communicated, but it's more exacerbated the existing tensions in society. So, you know, there might be an impression, there has been an impression that, say, the arts has been under-supported, for example, for years, yeah. and now going into COVID-19, we saw that kind of feel like it got exacerbated. The funding cut, there's nothing there to support it. It costs now more to study at university. This isn't a new thing. It's just an exacerbation of an existing issue. And this similarly has been seen across, um, yeah, gender equality. Um, the first thing to get slashed was, uh, in terms of benefits or put out, was childcare, which is interesting. Um, so different areas that we're seeing how these tensions are coming about, I think is really important for anyone in comms to look at. They're not new, they exist already, but the situation they're in has caused them to blow up a bit more. Mm -hmm. um, something else to probably talk about is that we are we have our coping strategies in place as, as humans, but they are somewhat limited. Um, during the, when we kicked this off, we had a great, uh, you probably all remember, there was a huge increase in the amount of video calls that we all had for that first month. It felt like everyone who could ever call you did. And it was great. And then it got overwhelming. Video calls as in people sort of <laughs> trying to check in? People yeah. Who, yeah, okay. Think, people who have rediscovered you perhaps. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. when we, um, in and out in that weekly research we were doing throughout April and May, we did see <laughs> people went from, Wonderful to I'm exhausted <laughs> with it as it just went so I've never much. really liked that person anyway. <laughs> now it's confirmed for me why I never spoke to them before. <laughs> um, but that you know that sense of being busy and the risk of personal care. We we asked people um, what's important to you in life and how well are you performing at it, and we saw everyone felt like they were kind of underperforming in the areas they felt were really important to them. And it was that importance about looking after myself, my my overall well-being. It was a key focus, but they never quite got there as to as how important it was. Yeah, right. Sounds almost like Christmas at Pollinate Research when it comes <laughs> out every... Is it, is it a bit like that as you're, liking, as you're working to say, I wonder what's going to happen today? It's like, it's, what is it going to tell us? And yeah. then it's like... Look at that. Well, you know, it, it's, it's been fascinating. I think it's a key, uh, key value for us at Pollinate and ideally of any research is, is curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we were pouring through the different literature that was going on and designing these questionnaires weekly. Um, and we're going to be doing another one, I should say, in, in the beginning of August as well. So yeah, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute about that series and you can mm. locate it for the audience because I actually, after we caught up a couple of weeks ago, I went back and had a look at it um, and mm. it's, there's some really great stuff, but we'll come to that in a minute. Yep. Um, but yeah, sorry, go on. I interrupted you again. Oh, no. <laughs> I like to do that. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a bit like Christmas, you know. You know yeah. Sometimes you'd have a bit of an idea about what you're thinking. Um, other times, not at all. I think, you know, it's interesting how we look at, well, the announcements this week about our, our budget and the recession mm. that we're going in. Mm. One question that we asked was, if you were given $500, what would you do with it? And we asked a 1,000 Australians this, nationally representative. Um, our anticipation was that people would be hunkering down, saving it. Not true. Half would go out and spend it. <laughs> so straight on, away. Did you ask them what they'd spend it on? Yeah, yeah we did. Uh, it was a real mix. Some people saying, you know, get better things around the home. Others yeah. be it's a bit of a treat. If I get that money, I want to, you know, still enjoy the little live luxuries that I can. Um, 
it was a real mixed bag. But I think what did come through is that there's not nice, not one, not one single silver bullet answer to a lot of these questions. There's a lot of grey, uh, and there are going to be. And, and is that a change, like sort of pre-COVID to now, that that's there's been this fragmentation of responses and um, far more individualised, rather than okay, we can sort of group people up neatly. Mm. Now it's sort of like all over the shop. I don't think so. I think we've probably got better at realizing it and understanding it though as a as a society that while we're certainly in this together um people do realize that others are not doing the same as i am i know many chats that i've had with people you know who are in a similar boat where we can work from home um working from home is a is a privilege really to be able to have a job where you can pick up your laptop and go home to a place where you have a workspace as well there's a lot of workers that can't do that so understanding this wider context has, um, I think, our increase in empathy is what we've seen during COVID-19. Um, before we finish, um, you were just going, you, you were suggesting that there's this next series that's going to be coming from Pollinate. And let's just reflect on some of those other resources that people can go and find out a little bit more about. Um, I think, well, if you go to the Pollinate research or Pollinate website, they are there. Yeah. And you can <clears throat> freely consume, very generous of you, thank you very much, to, to provide that, um, that resource because it's very valuable. Yeah, it was uh, definitely in those first um, few weeks we found that uh, it was one thing that we could do to try and give back. We have the ability and the resources to be able to help understand what Australians are thinking. Um, which is essential for communications. But how we found when we chatted with our clients and the people tuning in, a lot of people were taking it as the way to understand how they personally are feeling. Others are feeling like that too. So it was quite reassuring in some ways for people to be able to go, okay, what I was thinking, that was kind of right on that. What I was thinking here was different to everybody else, but I kind of understand a bit more why. Mm. So yeah, we, um, we paused it when it looked like we were sort of coming out of isolation and now that we're going back into it, we thought, well, let's go in again and see how have attitudes changed versus the last time. And yeah, so we're going to be doing that uh, next week and have the results for that um, the week after that in early August. Okay. Now, where can people get access to that though? And how can they get in contact with you um, so you know that perhaps they could you know if they need research in their in their company in their government agency or department how in fact do they get in contact with you yeah so pollinate website is probably the yep. most easiest and easiest is to remember way it's just yep. pollinate.com.au um do have a banner on the top of that that links to what we've called bcac world so before covid and after covid okay um and that's where there's the free resources of the weekly reports and webinars everyone can get onto and that's a great way to get in touch with uh with me as well okay Pollinate Research, where every day is Christmas. <laughs> Maybe? I like it. <laughs> Float that at the next staff meeting. So anyway, Garrett, thank you so much uh, for coming in today. Fascinating conversation and really, I don't think you can do it. Uh, you can't do your job without the research. You can't do your job without the insights. So um, be sure to give uh, the crew at Pollinate a call if you are looking for those insights because you need them. If you don't have them, you're going to fly blind. You're in the storm, as we've just discussed, is volatile, ever-changing. So you're really going to... can't fly the plane without seeing the instruments. So um, make sure you do that. And thank you um, for coming back once again. Uh, and just a 
a, a small advertisement um, on behalf of a, a project that we're invo- involved in, a reconciliation uh, project. One of the things I'm a bit nervous about is everyone got very excited through Black Lives Matter that it was, you know, really important that we do something about it. And perhaps, you know, a couple of weeks on, I might even ask Garrett about the research, but, you know, we get busy, we start doing other things. But I think it's a, a challenge that all of us in Australia need to take on. Um, yarnaustralia.com.au go and check it out Uh, there is uh, an important opportunity I think for every Australian at yarnaustralia.com.au I will leave you to uh, discover that for yourselves uh, but certainly it would be well worth your while to go and visit that website and to understand a little bit more about the work that Warren Roberts is doing around reconciliation so thank you so much for coming back once again great conversation really enjoyed that and um, we'll be back at the same time next week but for the moment it's bye for now you've been listening to the govcoms podcast if you enjoyed this episode be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes